0: We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to elders past and present it's my turn it was my turn three pregnancies ago there's no heartbeat yes just no sir so. i will do anything i just want so much to be a mother there's a line there's a line and we did a transfer one embryo in each surrogate i have learned that i am so freaking amazing families come together in many different ways and we need to normalize this have sex and get pregnant it's that easy right not for one in six of us from the makers of beyond the bump we sophie jade and la bring you the Behind the Bump, a place to share stories and shed light on miscarriage, IVF, infertility and more. So if you're trying to conceive or if your friend is doing IVF, if you just love a moving story, then Behind the Bump is the podcast for you.
1: Welcome to Behind the Bump, a big, beautiful hello to all of our listeners, the new bumpies, the old bumpies, not in age, but in listening years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your host today, Lakshmi Wilson, along with my beautiful co-host, Jade Caldwell. Hello. Hello. Hello, and today we are joined by a man. His name is John Summers, not to make too big a deal out of his gender, but we are really excited to talk to John today. You know, we've had a lot of lovely women come on and be extremely raw and vulnerable and so generous and courageous to share with us And we're eternally grateful to them. But this space is a little bit more comfortable, I think, for women to do that and, you know, decidedly less so for men. So I think for two reasons, we're really excited to have John on, one of them being that, you know, any males out there who are on this challenging journey may feel more seen or heard or find comfort in John's words. And also the women who are on this really challenging road can be really isolating, even in the most. Closest of relationships, and who you know sometimes or often may be thinking, What the fuck's going on in his head and in his heart? So
2: I'm pretty sure that's the majority. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: And yeah, we're not going to force you to speak for all men, but we'll start with your story. So we'd love you to take us back to kind of the very big first thing that happened in your journey which led you to believe that you were infertile mm. and yeah what happened after that
2: yeah well actually Laura wasn't on the scene then when that happened but back in 2011 I was diagnosed with testicular cancer so it is both a shock and uh, yeah it, just the alter to my journey is 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 next level in my part how old were you I was 34. I believe yes.
0: How
1: is something like that diagnosed? Like, were you having symptoms, or was it a routine exam?
2: So it was quite interesting. I was actually, I was actually on holiday. I'd been, no, I'd been noticing a just a peculiar feeling, and and me being a man, the normal thing is to obviously go, she'll be right and uh, we'll worry about that at some stage. And anyway, I was away on holiday and it just got to the point where it was – it was like – and all the guys would realise like if you get kicked in the knackers, like it feels like they've just entered your mm, stomach, stomach area in. and you know, they just sort of feel like they're sitting and, – and it was just this feeling and I hadn't been kicked there and I and I just couldn't shake it and I'm just like – This is really strange. And and it was sore. And I actually felt it was actually my right testy and it was hard. And it was bigger. And uh, it was just really uncomfortable. So I said to myself, I'm going to go back. I'll see a doctor straight away. So a few more months rolled by because obviously there's a lot more important things to do, like going out and all that sort of thing. (laughs)
0: Don't worry about uh, your swollen testy. (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: no. (laughs) Push that. To the back of your mind <laughs> and yeah it just got too much i couldn't manage my pain with pain relief, and i ended up seeing a doctor and popping in to see the doctor because i just never go and see them uh i see enough in my work as a paramedic you go to the hospital i keep sending you to the hospitals even though you don't want to go to them and the doc goes i think it's just epididymitis, which is just inflammation of those tubules in the in your testes and he goes but Let's just check. Oh you go and get a scan. So I went down, had an ultrasound, and the ultrasound showed up a just a it was a complete tumor. Wow. The testy was a complete tumor. Oh, so okay. and the way he actually showed me that because I'd actually it didn't have the blood flow that the other side did, basically.
1: Was that an instant like Tumor, like cancerous tumor, did they know that straight away in that ultrasound?
2: That they, so basically, the ultrasound all it saw was that it was a growth, a, a tumor, and it wasn't operating as per a usual tissue.
3: Mm, wow!
2: And uh, I ended up going back to the doctor, and the doctor goes, "Huh, I did not expect that." And I oh, said, well, "You didn't expect it? <laughs> I definitely didn't expect it." And uh, it was pretty much. I had the scan Monday afternoon. The Tuesday I went back to that doctor. The Wednesday I was seeing a urologist, a specialist. Thursday I was having bloods and scans. Friday I was back seeing the urologist and specialist. And then he goes, "What are you doing Monday?" And I just went, "Nothing." What going to the pub? I think. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think I want to see you at uh, the hospital on Monday. And I went, all right, well, that's really interesting. So from way to go, about a week, I was going from finding out to uh, having more assessments and then being treated uh, via surgery.
0: So in that time, in that week, did you, one, how did you feel knowing that you actually were, you were told that you had cancer? And did you get told like a stage, aren't there stages in cancer?
2: Yeah. So basically because of where it was at it never got mentioned stages uh, with, with testicular cancer they seem to act quite quickly because mm. we do have two of them and it's basically like oh one seems to be doing okay let's get rid of the other one and then let's have a look at the rest of the body. Right. So those, they, those scans are sort of head neck chest abdomen mm-hmm. so they're looking for spots and um I had the surgery and obviously then there's follow-ups after that. So I ended up with an oncologist after my surgery and what they were looking for then because you have repeated scans and bloods and uh, what they're looking for then to see any if there's been any growth anywhere else in the body. And they, and they happened to be in one of the first scans a spot on my lung. Oh, and dear. He he was he was. Well, I think he was quite young as a, as far as doctors go. But he was really proactive, and he goes, "John, you're healthy, you're fit, you're young." He goes, "I'm going to keep an eye on this spot. I kind of feel it's been there forever. Wow! And we're going to hold off the, any chemo. Now, what they do is they actually send off that testy for for um, analysis." Mm-hmm. and there's seminoma and non-seminoma. So there's one type of cell or there's a mixed bag of cells, which is the non-seminoma. And mine was the non-seminoma, which meant it would have been a longer course of chemo if I was to go down that road. But here I am now, and, and that decision of his to hold off, I ended up doing five years of scans and bloods, and then and then oh, it was about 2016, I think, that he sort of said, I'm going to let you go off into the wilderness, and if anything comes up you can come back to me but um,
1: so that spot didn't ever get bigger or change no, or spread change. just and it's still there as far yep. as you know uh, yep. and do you have
0: one testicle right now
2: yes yes yep. one one broken testy because then the rest of my story ended up, yeah ended up well let's
1: shaking. get into
0: it
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. so so alongside your diagnosis of testicular cancer at what point did the other kind of Bit of information come to you that hey, this is going to mm. mean something big for your mm. fertility. Was that something you cared about at the time?
2: No, well, I've got to say that I'd made a nice little story up for myself. I was happy with it. I can't have kids. Great, mm. let's just let's just get into life and go for it. I'd, I'd tied a little knot in it and put that at the back <laughs> of the cupboard.
1: You seem to be never really to be, good at never doing. Never be seen
2: that. again. <laughs> and and in saying that i love kids i i i love uh, being around kids I, I do coaching when i can and all that sort of thing i had made peace with that part of my life though yeah and uh meeting meeting laura it was it was, it was like we didn't get a chance really to date and we were a bit older obviously and and literally our first walk down to the park, which was basically our date because I'd been away, I'd met her, gone away for five weeks, come back, and we'd had a couple of hours between her going away for five weeks and then and we're just talking. She goes, Do you want kids? She's one to 10, man. Wow. She loves kids, like the oldest oldest, of 10 kids. So,
1: did she know about the journey that you'd been on with your testicles? I'm guessing she'd
2: no, seen not them. Not really, because what she asked, she said, Do you want kids? And I said, I would love to have kids. But I can't have them. And um, she'd worked in the self-development type area for a long time. And there's a woman called Byron Katie, and she has these this stuff called The Work. And it's basically four questions. Is it true? Is it really true? How do you feel when you make that question and then turn it around type thing? When you think that thought, sorry.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: First question out of her mouth was, oh, well, is that really true? And for me, I tell you, it was a massive question because wow. I never really questioned it because my urologist never Asked me about it. My oncologist never asked me about it. We didn't go and harvest some sperm before oh. I had my procedure. We just no one because no, they thought you're 34, you're young, you're healthy, go for it.
1: But you just had this belief about yourself.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. And so I've unbeknownst to Laura, I've I've started. I went and found a new GP because I wanted to get checked and then I go and have a sperm analysis and basically it confirmed all what I thought. Donuts. Just just no sperm. Wow! So I told Laura, and then we found uh, uh, another doctor who did a did a fine needle aspiration, and it was quite funny. We go in, and, and this is like our second date, basically. We're going to a we're going to a uh, uh, reproductive specialist, and he's about to stick a needle in my in my other testing. If you're not? To see yes. if we can find some spurs.
0: Yeah, it's way it's way past third base,
1: isn't it? <laughs> this is the difference between dating in your late thirties compared to your late twenties. That's like yeah. what you do on a second date. Fertility so like, wow, wow,
2: Yeah, this is interesting. And uh even asking her to go, she went, Are you sure? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, come along. No problem. So anyway, she's she's in there with me and um we ended up doing three passes. So three times they put the needle in them. did that hurt? It was quite an interesting feeling. It was, yeah, it was quite bizarre because the first time, I'm like, oh, because they give you some local, and then the second time, and then the third time, the doctor goes, oh, I couldn't do that. Okay. And I'm looking at the doctor going, your you bedside think? manner could be a lot better than that, please.
0: So where's he putting it right into your testicle? Right
2: into the testicle. It's what they call a blind procedure. So they're basically, through their education and their experience, they go, oh, yeah, this is probably an area that we could do. And they're basically putting the, the needle in, and then there's a, there's a nurse pulling on the syringe to draw out whatever fluid as, as they pull back through. So nothing. Then they take it away, put it under the microscope, and then they went again. And there was nothing the first time, nothing the second time. And he said, do you want to do it one more time? Go on. So he does it one more time, and they found one sperm.
3: Wow.
2: One. One emotional, broken little sperm. (laughs) I don't know how they got him, or he just couldn't swim away fast enough. I don't know. But for me... I still get old because it just meant that I had spent it my was home, yeah. And that just challenged this little box that I put in the back of the cupboard. A few Seriously. Years so anyway, we, we that just literally started us down a road that that obviously we've got our daughter now but Mm. that was that's like
0: before we go down there i've got some questions that i'd like to go back to so my first question is when you had this done afterwards were you and i if this is too much information feel free to tell me no jade but were you like it was still, were you shooting blanks or did you have stuff coming out still? There's still like fluid, right?
1: No, still, okay, it's so it's still there's still fluid.
2: So there's still, they're still And it's when,
0: cool. when you've had a vasectomy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well... Mm-hmm. Don't get my husband started on that. He okay. reckons he has barely anything. Anyway, that's another topic. But with my other question, when you were dating and you were obviously intimate together, did she notice that you had one testicle?
2: It was funny. After that, she she we had the conversation because I went and had the prosthetic.
0: Oh. oh. Hey, you can't just miss information like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So oh. I, yeah, sorry, I should have added that, but I decided to go with the prosthetic mm. and... Later on down the track, obviously, I just I just asked her and she said, I did think it was a bit strange. <laughs>
1: like a bit too well shaped or- <laughs> I, don't,
2: I, don't know, I don't know what that meant, but
1: <laughs> Well, they're not, not not strange to start with. So- <laughs> wow. Okay. So you were at that point of like Hey, I can't believe they did that third needle because how different could your life be if you'd have said no to that third time? I love like just those moments in people's stories where you're like, that was a pivotal moment for you and you wouldn't have even really known it. But as as soon as you had that, were they quite confident that, well, we found this one sperm. So as long as you're both willing to go down the path of IVF, like this is a pretty good chance of happening. Did you feel like you went into it with really high hopes?
2: It kind of we were very naive. Like coming into that, we thought, right, we've got sperm. We'd found out about a procedure, the microchessy procedure, which goes into the testy under the microscope and they cut it open to find the sperm. Oh. And we thought, right, that's a relatively new procedure. Cool, we can do that. Get that. This is our naivety. Yep. Laura does. Laura does one egg retrieval. I get my sperm. We put them together, we make some embryos, and voila.
1: She'll be pregnant in two months.
2: <laughs> Job done. All good. Now, looking back, really, really naive sort of approach, but do you have a look? The doctor that we were initially with, we ended up leaving because almost completely dashed our chances in one fell swoop because they would have basically done my micro Laura wasn't producing, we found out that Laura doesn't really respond well to the medications, so she didn't have many eggs that first
3: mm-hmm.
2: first stim cycle. And if we had have gone on with it, I would have found how many sperm we would have ended up throwing away or freezing whatever. Which mm. you lose half anyway when you freeze it, and then you lose another half when you thaw it. And and anyway, we cancelled that first cycle, and we ended up leaving that doctor. So we basically went on. So the best thing that that doctor ever did was stuff up our management, mm,
1: right? So am I? Am I to understand that you had one shot at this? Is that what you mean by he would have destroyed your chances yeah. in one fell swoop? The microtesi is a one-time thing, and whatever sperm it's, it's get, meant that's to be, it.
2: yes, ah. it's meant to be. So what would have happened was in our mind, the process is: I do my microtesi, they get the sperm. Laura's stimulated her cycle. We're going to get eggs, and we're thinking 20 eggs mm-hmm. or, or whatever, and and maybe that many sperm. We put them together. Cool. Maybe we make two embryos, three embryos. But what was happening was we were a little way in, and she had like four, four eggs, four, five eggs, and, and the docs sort of gone, Oh, this isn't right. And it basically thrust us to asking questions, which ended up becoming a big part of our book and just around asking really good questions to get really good answers. So we started wondering whether this was the right person for us and our goals. And anyway, we ended up finding the best people, the best surgeon and uh, from for me and the specialist for Laura.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, even though it did take a long time to get enough eggs so that we could do the microTessi in the hope that we found sperm, We got told maybe 20 eggs was a good place to start, but we didn't realise that it takes so bloody long to get.
1: I can really like 100% back up what you said there about asking the right questions. I feel like that was a huge part of my journey, which I guess for me was just my personality, which it sounds like it probably was for you guys too because normally I think people start with their first doctor quite trusting. You don't have any Mm -hmm. reason to go against what they're advising you to do. But I like... Cannot back that sentiment more. I think it's yeah. so good, even just for your own feeling of control in this journey, yeah. to do a bit of whatever you want to call it, research, just find those questions that you want to ask your doctor and not take everything as Bible. But um once you had done that, what do you think that that second doctor did that was able to get the best out of Laura, like for lack of a better words, like what what was it that you think she needed?
2: I think, I think the, the best part about that or about her was that she was willing to try different things. So mm. well, one thing about Laura is she can research, man. She can keep records. She can like, we go back to the first cycle and she goes, I took this and this and this and this and this. And it was only because we went back and had a look and we go, all oh, right, we got two eggs. Oh, we got four eggs. Oh, we got one egg. Oh, we got three eggs. Oh, we got seven. And then we go, but oh, what did we do? Oh, but what if... And we'd we cross these questions with the doc. We'd go, how about we do this part and this part? So the best of the worst and the worst of the like mm-hmm. of the best type thing. And we started to sort of hit our straps when it came when it came to the the amount of eggs we were getting. So it ended up taking about nine nine retrievals to get enough eggs for my first micro Wow, and that was about thirty-one. I think we ended up having.
1: So that was over what a period of mm. a, At least nine months or a year, like is She at having least, breaks, the, yeah.
2: yeah. She was getting into she was getting into back to backs there, so it was probably over about a year. Yeah.
1: How did that feel for you to be? while you obviously had a part to play, like for that, the majority of that, she's doing the drugs, she's doing the needles, her hormones are being affected. Like how did you guys communicate or how was your like emotional dynamic around that when I guess did you feel, not saying that you should, but did you Mm. feel a sense of responsibility? Mm.
2: It was a it was a really interesting time for both of us because we're obviously we still feel that we're feeling our way through
3: mm.
2: a really challenging time. We're learning like we never have before because we're we're obviously learning about each other as well. Mm. And I guess the biggest thing that we both took away is none of it's personal. We're, we're both sort of mm. coming from a from a point of view where we have the same goal. Yeah, that, that, I think that's what came out of it uh, most of the time. Whenever we did have a disagreement, or just uh, just uh, it was like, ah, oh, we're, we're, it's like the the, the levels of uh, the mindsets of infertility we sort of talked about is because if you're not on the same level, then you can't talk about a, the same problem.
3: Mm-hmm. And for
2: us, we ended up getting really good at, I guess, letting each other know where we were at in the process and that actually reduced the amount of disconnect that was happening it's still happening now like we are years on and i'm an idiot
3: oh,
0: what do you mean <laughs> i just, just so some, some of the some of the,
2: i will assume one thing and instead of asking and actually getting getting the answer that that would help both of us that would actually cause me to go down an emotional road Yeah. That that was completely unnecessary in the first place.
0: But I feel like this is something that happens in every single relationship. Like you just, it's not like, I know, obviously this one's quite time sensitive and you're doing so much, you know, to try and get a positive outcome. But even on a normal day in a normal relationship, you're still stuffing up and you're still sort of questioning yourself going, hang on, (laughs) am I missing something here? So I can only imagine, I think how heightened it would have been for you both in this situation at this time.
2: Well, I think I think one of the other big things about IVF is, and people don't understand, is that you know every single step in the process. Even when you get to the transfer stage and your two-week wait, you know when you've put the embryo in. So you are wondering about every single feeling, the noisy you're feeling, the the bump you feel. Oh, there's nothing there. Oh, maybe it's just stopped. so the emotion emotional roller coaster that comes with that, and Laura and I were going through that Laura was doing all this initially without any idea whether I had any sperm. We hadn't had we hadn't had the microtesi. Oh.
3: We were literally lining
2: up every month to go again. Without any guarantee other than our own faith, that's why Adeline's middle name is Faith, because literally we we just it's basically what dragged us through. But yeah, she she kept going until my first microtasy without any knowledge that I had any sperm, and it basically come down to that just before COVID. I go, I was literally the last patient before they shut down the hospitals for COVID because I said, "Mate, I'm ready to go," and we just thought, well. Any answer from this, whether I have sperm or not, it's going to allow us to move forward because we just feel like Mm. we are on a roundabout and we just don't have an exit. She turns up, do another egg retrieval. Eggs, oh, we get one. Oh, we go again. Just And it was just going round and round. And we just thought maybe an answer where we can actually know whether we have sperm is is going to help us. Um, And then obviously the next part is like, are they going to talk?
0: Mm. Great, we found sperm. Are they compatible? No,
2: you're like, oh crap. And then you gotta wait five days and you're like, holy smokes, this is just too much.
1: So you went in for your microtesi, and what did that look like in terms of were you able to find out straight like you were put under, I'm guessing. And then when you woke up, did you get an answer straight away? Like yes, no, maybe half sperm?
2: Well, I do have a bit of a funny story for that because I turned up for it and I got all the way through to the pre-surgery, so I'm talking to the anaesthetic nurse and the anaesthetist and they go, all right, so for your colonoscopy today, you're going to, and, and <laughs> I'm looking at them going, am I being pumped?"
0: <laughs> is
1: there what sperm is, up there? What
2: is happening here? And uh, Where is
0: sperm kept? <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and, and she looked at me and gone, What procedure? I said, "Uh, I'm in here for a sperm retrieval. And she goes, hmm, this could be a bit more challenging doing it this way. Um, So same first name, but but the person that came and grabbed us didn't really go any further. And uh, we were literally right by each other. Wow. wow. So I got all the way through. I had to go back to the waiting room and then go again. Prep you
1: in a different area.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the microtasy was it was God, oh, it was it was a huge apprehension. I was, just, I was just so nervous. And then obviously you go under, and they take about four or five hours because they're basically in there with a reproductive specialist, and they are taking away the sperm to have a look and see what they've got, with the surgeon waiting with the testy open. And literally all you do is you wake up and he draws this rude little tadpole on a on a page and it just says, We found we found some
1: That's because you're groggy though, isn't it? That's like the kind of we don't know what faculty oh. you'll have. So we'll have a picture <laughs> I, for you. <laughs>
2: I almost beside myself.
3: Oh wow.
2: I, I look at the video now and it still it still gets me right in the feels. Oh. I do have to say, it was a lot sorer than I thought it was. Uh, it did take me a little while to recover, but um, mm. it was a pretty special time. So then there was actually more news because when I saw the surgeon, he goes, John, I managed to find a nice little treasure trove initially. So I got 31 sperm, which was the same amount as the eggs we had. Oh. And I sewed you back up. So if you want to do this again. <laughs> You can. Which, again, Laura and I had already made plans to put the eggs and sperm together, make an embryo, transfer, and then hopefully be pregnant. So, again, just like IVF does to you, you have to be flexible and you have to to be really light on your feet. We basically sat down and had a chat and we're just like, well, if we can do this again – let's do another six months of retrievals. And Laura, Laura, I tell you, I still see Laura's face now, just all the blood drained from her face. Mm. She thought she was done
3: Yeah.
2: with God. retrievals. So anyway, the 31 sperm and 31 eggs, I yep. put them together in the, in the lab. Yep. And this was our first experience of this waiting game that you have to wait for the, to see how they go. The first day's brutal because thirty one we were down to eleven. Oh uh, fuck. day two, seven. Day three, five. And, and we ended up we ended up with one. Is this and one
1: embryo you're talking about? One so embryo. you put you did put all the eggs and all those sperm together. That was the best chance. Wow.
2: wow. Not in the one petri dish. It wasn't it wasn't a big <laughs> orgy <laughs> or anything. It was just like,
1: thirty one separate little <laughs> sexual <laughs> encounters. <laughs> Privacy. So
2: yeah, we got one and two maybes that uh, we froze
3: so, so you didn't it, feel hopeful
2: oh no it, re- it really for me that was that was actually a massive lesson for me because I was uh, um, I, mm. I live in hope Laura just says I'm annoyingly positive so yeah it just, it, it just yeah it, it, it hurts a little bit
0: but I think also not a lot of people, like if, if it's the first time you have gone through IVF, I mean, I I listen to some of these stories and this is the only way I can understand what people go through. Before you even know, like, the possibilities that people go down the path of IVF, there are so many hurdles. Mm, and I yeah. never knew, I never knew, like, how hard it can be. Like, I just assumed, and this is me being naive, that, oh, you can't get pregnant naturally. You could get IVF, and that's yeah, it. Like you're done. Sure thing. That's it. But mm, like yeah. the
2: that was me too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so after this happened, you went back and had another go at the um, whatever it's yeah. called. What is it? Micro Okay, so you had another one. And how many sperm did they retrieve this so time?
2: We'd actually learned a lot from our nine previous retrievals as well. Mm-hmm. So we seem to have our eye in with regards to the the protocol. That Mm -hmm. helps Laura. So we ended up with 38.
1: Can you just quickly share, because I know for myself when I was on this journey, like listening to podcasts, I would be so hungry for specifics and be like, mm. what do you mean? What things did she do? Like I didn't personally do IVF, but I'm imagining women out there going, well, that's my story too. So mm. like, do you know off the top of your head, like certain medications or vitamins or proceed? What was it that you felt like brought out the best for Laura? We
2: did We did put it all in, in the book we wrote. Um, as far as Laura's regime, obviously it's a little while ago now. But, but things like priming with testosterone and, and things like that. But I did do the first two or three cycles of injections until we sort of worked out that she needed to start doing them herself. Mm-hmm. That took some time. I ended up getting her to jab me in the stomach.
3: So
1: you knew what it felt like? Is that what well, you mean?
2: I knew. I didn't mind. I said, why don't you oh, just okay. do me? Why don't you just do me? And anyway, that's how we got her started doing it. Oh, that and doing to our get her injections. comfortable. Okay. So
0: after you got the thirty nine, what happened then?
2: We did the same same thing. We, we put them put them together. Now now my doctor, I just told him to go to town. I just said, I do not want to do this procedure again. You just yeah. go you just look in every nook and cranny and they found enough, basically. Um and ended up freezing some
3: Some straws
2: as well, which again, created more problems for us because then we're like, now we've got sperm and now we want to make sure we give them all the chance to anyway, Yeah, so- yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> just created more and Laura's just oh, more retrievals.
1: So, so you put the how many embryos did you end up with after this one?
2: We ended up because there was an interesting thing too. This time, we actually put fresh eggs and fresh sperm. So all the way from the six months, we, we aimed to medicate a cycle so that we're taking the sperm out and we have fresh eggs at the same time, which actually for us worked like magic because okay. we ended up with 11 embryos, I think, or something, but seven or eight of them were from the fresh. Right. And look, some of them, we ended up with two PG, PGS normals.
1: So you tested all of them and only two well, We were... tested.
2: We tested four or five or six. Yeah, some of them we lost as well. And uh, for me, now that I, my part in the journey was done, I, I was sort of off down the road of HRT treatment now because if my test wasn't broken before, it definitely definitely was now.
1: <laughs> so HRT, hormone replacement therapy? Hormone replacement therapy, right. yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
2: yeah, so one thing I did realize, and shows mindset's a big thing because for years I'd been trying to work out why my testosterone was so low and potentially, when I was a baby, that was the testy. Uh, I had an underscended testy, and that was mm. the testy that ended up becoming tumorous. So I'm just wondering whether potentially that strangulation caused some changes to the cells and then that over time. Absolutely. Which, which potentially meant that my other testy had to pick up the load, and then it just couldn't. So I'm, I'm just wondering whether... It's, it's all hypothetical, but knowing, yeah, what, always
1: I know, wonder, I know. knowing
2: what I know now, <laughs> I'm like... Huh. I suffered from gynecomastia as a as a teenager as well, which is which is breast tissue on the on the chest area. Uh-huh. It's a, quite a common thing, but um, normally that change for for boys. And obviously, my testosterone wasn't where it should be, maybe, and the estrogen was higher potentially. Mm-hmm. Obviously, without testing, you don't know. Yeah, that made that made teens quite tough. But anyway.
0: Then what happened from there? Did you decide
1: to try one? Were you at that point now where it was like, all right, let's put one in Laura?
2: Yes, that was, and, and that resulted in Adeline.
0: Oh, the first one. Mm hmm. How say you just didn't build that up? You were like, yep, (laughs) and that was it. It's like, hang on, can you not be mailed for four seconds and just string and stretch that out? We've been waiting for this moment. And you're like, yep, and that was it. (laughs) And then we had a baby and, um, yeah, 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 she's here. Here we are.
2: Yeah, she's all done. All right, our podcast is two minutes and 30 seconds. (laughs) So
0: hang on, let's go. I want want you to go back a little bit. When you found out this information, were you in a – an office did you get the phone call did you test at home
1: i need to know because i have never been able to wait more than 10 days
2: we did we did promise ourselves that we weren't going to test in that two Mm. week wait other than obviously the hcg testing that that you you need Mm. to do to see how the how the embryo is going now in saying that our addy did not respond well in the in the by all rights the pregnancy wasn't going to continue because
1: what do you mean like the hcg wasn't looking good
2: the hcg numbers weren't doubling or reflecting wow a, a healthy pregnancy so for us that was that was pretty terrifying for one like we 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 actually we were told to come into the clinic straight away and actually it's funny what you sort of block out it's a really Interesting things that sort of that sort of happened happened around that time when it comes to communication. Do tell. We had um, nurses telling us on the phone that, that potentially Laura's levels, follicle stimulating or something, was high. Or this was a, this actually has to go back a little bit. This is before our line, and we were getting told that some of the hormones weren't right because we'd just done a cycle or we just started a cycle, and that normally reflected. Menopause.
3: Mm.
2: So anyway, Laura gets told this. I go to work. Laura is in tears. She's beside herself. This is like Friday. No. I'm like, how how can this be? What's what's happened? So we had to go home and we had to decide whether we're going to continue with the egg retrieval and then just hope that the doctor tells us to carry on on Monday. Anyway, we end up back back over the weekend. We talk and we say, look, we'll just carry on with the cycle. We turn up to the the surgery, and then we're asked, "Oh, well, know, numbers don't look that that great." Mm-hmm. Right? sort of it's like menopause type thing. And We're like, "Oh, yeah." Well, and then we told them that we carried on and we'd had the jab in the morning. We'd started the cycle, and they went, "Hang on, you had the hormones in the morning, your injection," and and we said, "Yeah," and they went, "Oh, don't worry about it. That's because you've started your cycle. That's why." So yeah, it
1: was throwing the numbers out.
2: Talk about uh, (laughs) – I'm sorry to throw that one in, but that one was just – we had to sit with that all weekend.
1: Yeah, Mm. big oversight.
2: That would have been hard. Yeah. That was one of the the retrievals um, and one of the saves. Wow. And then if I fast forward now to – The
1: HCG issue. Well,
2: we were were pregnant and then the HCG. So this is just another instance of just Mm. like, it's not doubling. And I really didn't know – as a man, I guess I didn't know the importance of – these numbers, and, uh, and I'm still obviously being hopeful. I'm like, oh, come on, maybe, maybe it's enough. Mm. Maybe it's maybe. It's. And anyway, again, we were told a set of numbers on the on the Friday. We were told to come in on on the, the Monday, and we'd pretty much been through hell. We, we'd we'd come to terms with the idea that, all right, this this is potentially going to be going to be it, and then we're going to have to dust ourselves off and 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 then look to. What are we going to do next? And anyway, we turn up. Laura goes, you don't have to come. And I went, oh, oh, come I've come all this way. I I think I'll come to this
3: one.
2: (laughs) I do not have to come. And they go, oh, thanks, babe. All right, I'm off to the pub. It's it's COVID. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. Let's see them try and stop me. Yeah. Anyway, so we basically turned up and we were ushered right through and Laura was already in tears and – she she could she was watching me. So if you if you can picture lying on on the bed, she's yeah. lying on the bed. She's she's having the the um, scan. I'm standing at one end, and um, and then you
0: take your time. It was,
2: it was just like a little light on that screen, just like a little flashing light. And I just said to I said to the ultrasound lady, I just said, uh, "What's that?" And she goes, "I did not expect to see that." That's that's a heart.
0: Oh, I got goosebumps.
2: And then my logical head goes into mine. I went, ha, What's it pumping? Like, where's the pumps? Where's the pipes? Where's the? <laughs> where's the- <laughs> Is it okay? <laughs> <Where's> <laughs> Has it got more than pipe? that? What's it doing? <laughs> And, uh, oh
1: John I love this moment so much cuz I I'm so glad we, we that have pedal. I have lied in that bed and I oh I don't know what it was like for Laura to lie in that bed but I know how big that moment is and like you can be utterly crushed or just like
2: And Laura Laura saw my face and I immediately started Tears started coming and she's like, What well,
3: what's wrong? What's oh, she's
2: automatic. Oh. Laura can see what's wrong. That's just how she's wired. Yeah. So, of which, a, which actually is her superpower because then we're able to actually correct balance people, each other. Or then we know what's
3: what, and like,
2: I, I still can see it. I've still got a little video where you just watch this little this little pulsing thing <laughs> like I said, that's the baby. And she said, we just looked at each other, just speechless.
1: That's amazing because you would have gone in there, like, just going, we're here to get our hearts crushed. Let's get it over and done with. Like, all right.
2: All weekend. Mm. Yeah.
1: One of my um, pregnancies, I've had nine, but um, one of my pregnancies, my first HCG was a reading of seven, and the reason I say that is because stories like yours and stories like mine, I love people to hear those, not to give people hope where there is none, but like it's not always the be all and end all, and like it's you know things can surprise you. Like I was looked at like seven. And well, you know, that's probably not going anywhere. That's not a big number, but he's here. He's mm. three years old now. And like, I'll, you know, always remember that, always remember that yeah. moment and thinking, oh, fuck, another one, another one, you know? And you tell yourself on this journey like so many times, oh, I've seen this before. It looks like this other bad news I had, it's going to be bad news again. But sometimes it's not, you know, mm. your journey can always bloody surprise you. Like, yeah. it really can.
2: I think for me, I think for me, it was just as a as a man as well, just not understanding how much it meant to Laura as well and what she'd been through. Because because by that stage, it's it's fifteen egg retrievals. I'd done two surgeries. The cats had one. Um, <laughs> we got, we got the...
3: Why
0: not? Throughout this whole time, was there any part of you that felt like less masculine, or you know, to not be able to have this moment? I can't even imagine how it would feel, but like how did that feel for you if if this, this didn't happen?
2: If this didn't happen. See, see for me the whole book is being written completely brand new for me mm. because obviously I had my belief. I've gone and crushed that belief. We found sperm and now we've put we've managed to put eggs and sperm together. So this is another step in the process. So I'm just completely overwhelmed awestruck just at Laura's strength hmm. and obviously from my perspective is learning how to manage that as well like we have literally lived in hormone town for yes. a long time
0: so how was her pregnancy
2: as far as pregnancy she was literally she had morning sickness from day one through to the 40th week, basically yeah. until she had it. <laughs>
3: but that there. can
1: be really reassuring when you've had a hard job. As shit as it is, it's like I remember wishing for morning sickness.
2: Laura would just say, I've never been so happy to be yes. so ill in my life.
1: This is nothing you spoke before about kind of finding the way to communicate and to understand where each other were at. What do you think were the differences in say how Laura was coping and like what she needed versus what you needed? Cause I know for myself and my partner, like we needed really different things Yeah, and, um, I respected 100% that he was in pain too and it wasn't just that he needed to come and be at my bedside. I needed to figuratively go to his bedside but what he needed was like socialising and things like that and a bit more distraction whereas I wanted to sit and stare at the wall. Is that similar to how you felt? You guys were going through it.
2: Um, one of the biggest things is I, I I'm pretty much internal when it comes to uh, probably like a, a lot of a lot of guys. You sort of mm. you know, I, if we if we're thinking about something, right? We're going to do the retrieval. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, no, yeah, I'm all right. I'm I'm already there. Laura needs to talk about and verbalise every single part of the process, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right. Initially, it was like, yeah, yeah, I. I got that. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, and then finally, I did realize that one of the biggest things is that, is, that, is that it's her part of her process and making sense of the process that she's going to go through is just verbalizing it. And, and, that's, and that's her, that is her process, and my process is different. But recognizing that we do have those different processes actually helped us move towards the same goal because at the end of the day, the way she was talking, I was taking it initially, though like early on in the process, I was taking it personally because I thought by her saying something, it meant that I wasn't doing it type mm. thing or I wasn't understanding and that wasn't the case. I mean, it was literally her just working through the strategy, the process and and um, all she needed from me was to go, hmm, oh, okay, or... or uh, geez, that's really hard. No, she she didn't need my opinion. She didn't need my thoughts. She didn't need my – it's basically just acknowledgement. that she Because she's like, man, I just feel terrible. And this is really hard. And she didn't need me to go, oh, no, you don't need to feel that way. That's just a simple example. But for me, to just be be alongside her and and link arms with her rather than to – Rebut everything that she's feeling because she is a feeling being. That's, that's Laura.
3: That's yeah. uh,
2: women in general, basically. So by acknowledging those emotions and those feelings, Laura was able to make peace with a lot of things behind the scenes. And, and, then, and then she obviously realized that, that I was actually hearing her and that I was actually in the room, not just physically. Mm, yeah. as well.
1: And you, you've said that you are more internal with your processing, yes. but obviously, like the reason I found you is, um, you know, your name, your misnomer, you're also known as uh, the Infertility Man. Yes. So yes. at some point, you... I was really
0: expecting you to have a cape on when we <laughs> <laughs> when we came on here. So I'm a little bit disappointed, but <laughs> next time you've got paint on you instead. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, not all heroes. So yeah, you obviously at some point kind of made it your other identity and you wanted to be out and loud about it how did you navigate that
2: yeah for for me i think it was it was it was early on in the process where we realized that there actually wasn't much out there for men let alone men speaking about what Mm. they were going through and and how to traverse this This minefield, we looked everywhere, online, books, we we listened to podcasts, we listened to, I think what we found was there was just nothing of value, nothing of real substance. There's a lot of fluffy stuff out there and positive thinking and you'll be great and and it'll all work. And you go, no, it doesn't, mate. It it just doesn't. It takes shitloads of work. And you are constantly aware of every part of the process. Oh, we had mm. to remove deodorants or aftershaves. Hey, we just got to make sure something. can you not wear aftershave in our house if you're staying here? Or, or the deodorants that we're using, can us change that? We started making all our own household items washing powders and laura makes my hair hair stuff now and the deodorants that we use um uh, like these are all the conscious decisions that are thrust upon you when you actually are pushed into this environment if you don't make them ivf just swallows you up man and then you just go oh it didn't work for us
3: yeah it doesn't
2: but i I think for us laura and i we're constantly going right how do we move forward what can we do next to even take the smallest step forward? And we haven't shared this next part of our journey. We've actually been off the grid for the last year and a bit because it's been, it's been really tough. But we've got a, we've got a whole gamut of information that is just, that is so necessary for the world. Because I think one of my biggest issues with the medical fraternity is patient centered care is just not there. It's just, it's just not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and, and it frustrates me, obviously, in the environment that I work in as a paramedic. But if we were truly about the customer, the patient, uh, why, why are we not offering counselors? Oh,
1: 100%. When, when, when,
2: when someone calls up distressed, oh, oh, she's just mad again. She's on hormones. Near. Hang on, mate. Oh, she's called you up. And these women know this environment, like the bag, better than some of the medicos because all they do is learn it. And because of the insomnia, they're up twenty six hours a day and they get to they get to research that much as well. I just I it does frustrate me a bit and you get a lot of people with opinions online as well and, and when you put yourself out there we decided, right, let's let's share. Let's share. It. There's no men talking about it. She said, John, you look like someone who's masculine enough, just go and how do you feel about it? And anyway whatever that doesn't really, it doesn't really really matter but Yeah.
1: No, it's incredible. I think it's amazing. Like, I, you know, I've tried for years to get my partner to go on a microphone and talk about what we went through and it is, it's a rare thing and you're not represented and there's not a lot of other voices to align yourself with or to fit in with. So, like, you're kind of paving the path blind and, yeah, yeah, I think it's an incredible thing for both men and women. Like, we're on it together and the more togetherness we feel, like, like you said, it's having that common goal. And knowing you are in it together, you know, no matter whose body.
2: You mentioned something earlier on about masculinity. So whether whether it actually affected, and I think I don't think we really addressed that part. And I think a lot of men have a lot of issues with the with the fact that they actually attach virility, masculinity to having kids. It's just what we do. And even even some of the conversations I have now is just, uh, "Have you been tested?" No, nah, no, nah, she'll be right, mate. No problems. And people don't realize. Like, I've just been reading a book, um, well, rereading a book, Alison Armstrong's Key to the Kingdom. And, and she's on, she's on about when you're with a woman, it's a woman's time's wasted because her reproductive years yeah, are limited. Sure. Whereas men, well, there's men that just, End up producing sperm for the rest of their life, if that's possible. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing that for for guys, it's 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 because men attach their ego, the masculinity, to having a baby that, that I, I believe. And these are the guys that I've managed to speak to. I believe that holds them back from being able to see. The possibility available to them, and they get stuck in this this mindset.
0: So, where you're at now? Yes. What advice do you give to males who are facing infertility struggles, both in helping themselves and how best to be there for their partner?
2: Yeah. For Laura and I, I think um, one of the biggest one of the biggest things is Laura can talk about infertility from morning till night and then night until morning, and and for me, all that did was just increase my anxiety, my yeah. stress which would obviously affect our ability to communicate. So we come up with an idea around baby making meetups. So we would actually use the calendar and schedule in an hour or two where we, and we'd create a notes page where we would just put our questions in there so we could actually see the notes and then we'd sit down and we would just talk about all things infertility. Love that. So for me, I was able to empty my tank then, but I was able to prepare for that time as well. And there were no distractions. We turned off the phones. We did all the things. But we were able to actually answer all the all the questions that we had and and create a plan moving forward to the next one. I love like that. And in, in our book, we've actually got some starters. Like at the end of each chapter, we've gone, oh, I'll just sit down and ask this. Because it's not a book you read from front to back where you can go in and go, all right. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. I'll ask that, and then, and then once you actually start creating the schedule or, or start, it, it did relieve a lot of stress for me around around that conversation. It
0: opens a communication as well, doesn't it? So you yeah. can start the.
2: Well, we could talk about other stuff then too, because yeah. like, yeah, I can. feel like we are talking about this all
1: Yeah, the time. it bleeds and into everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. That one, that one is is a big one. For us, it really it really helped. We still do it still do it today, and that helps. And and for for blokes out there who are watching their partners go through this, or whether it's their part in the process, whether it's male factor or or female factor, you both on this road, yeah, and none of it's personal, yeah, and no one's opinion is more important than your own, so. Do not listen to anyone.
1: (laughs) I have have to ask just quickly before we go. It's the last question. Feel free not to answer it. But all of our listeners, I would love if you want to share so they can send some goodwill your way. Are you trying again? Is that where you're at?
2: We are a year on. We we hoped we would we would be able to share good news, but it, 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 we're definitely not pregnant, and we're definitely not not around that stage. But there there are a lot of uh, a, f- a few more diagnoses which we've managed to get informed on, and yeah. uh, uh, we're back in the trenches, okay. and and we will we we are firing up our our channel again because I feel like we're 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 kind of ready now to share. So. Yeah.
0: Well, John, we can't thank you enough for coming on today and sharing your story with us and our listeners. I'm sure everyone that has listened has got something out of this definitely. because we especially did. So a massive thanks to you. Yeah. And we'll definitely pleasure. pop your book in the show notes for anyone that would like to check that out. Yes. There
1: you go. <laughs>
2: Man's Got Infertility. It's on Amazon. So, yeah, we're pretty proud of it. You, should,
1: you be. should be. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Behind the Bump. If you loved today's episode, you can head to our Facebook group, Behind the Bump, where you can join in the conversation, find support and so much more. It's linked in the show notes. Until next week. Bye bye.
3: Bye -bye.